0: hey everyone before we jump into today's video i just wanted to say thank you for those of you that maybe don't know we had a uh, we had a visitor with us last sunday who had covid and so what we've done is we've actually suspended our in-person gathering this weekend and so we've asked everyone just to come online and we're just going to do a bit of a circuit breaker within our fellowship But I just wanted to say thank you uh, to all of you for just being so understanding, so flexible as we try to navigate the complexities of this and do it in wisdom and honoring people. And so I just want to say thank you for being so mature and gracious and walking this out with us. So without further ado, let's jump into today's video. Well good morning friends, welcome to
1: Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today we're going to be talking about what happens when God reveals biblical truth to us that maybe is in conflict with what we thought was true before. Good morning friends, my name is Marcus and I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. And I'm so glad that you've joined us online this morning. Well, I want to ask you, have you ever had this conversation before? Hey dad, uh, I think we're going the wrong way. No, dad, I I really mean it. Like look at this map. I think that we're going the wrong way. Don't you see St. Paul's Cathedral here on this map? We're, We're walking in the opposite direction of it. And you say you're sure, dad even when the map is saying that we're going the wrong way. Okay, if, if you're sure, we'll, we'll go your way. Well, several years ago, I was on a trip with my dad uh, in Europe and, and one of the places that we stopped on our way home from Europe was London. And we uh, had this exact conversation when we were there. We were only there for a couple of days, literally just two, but we wanted to pack in as many sightseeing opportunities as we possibly could. And so now what you need to know to understand this story is that us Den Bravers are incredibly stubborn, like incredibly stubborn, every one of us. And we're so much so that sometimes we can uh, dig our heels in uh, because we need to be right in that moment because our stubbornness uh, than it is to maybe just relent. And so my dad and I were on our very last day in London before flying out uh, the next morning. And so the last place that we had on our visit was St. Paul's Cathedral. And so we were like determined and like we were going to get there. But my dad is uh, what you and he he would say of himself that he's sometimes directionally challenged. In that he's not very great at navigating new cities. And so as we started to walk to what we thought was St. Paul's Cathedral, I began to have that kind of sneaking feeling and suspicion that we were going the wrong way. And so I pulled out my map. Uh, because I, it was like a real map, I don't know if you've used one of those uh, for a very long time, because back in that day, we didn't have a data plan that was international, and so I had to use like a real a real map, it was wild. Um, and as I looked at it, I realized that my suspicions were correct, that we were actually going the wrong way. So when I showed my dad, the map must have like magically transformed before his eyes, because he saw that we were actually, in his mind, going the right way. So I showed him, no, dad, like. This is St. Paul's Cathedral. This is the next crossroad. We're we're going the wrong way. Like I'm giving you this evidence to show you that we are going the wrong way. But like I said, we Den Brabers are a little bit stubborn. And so in the same way that I was convinced and sure that I was right that we were going the wrong way, my dad was convinced and was sure that he was right that we were going the right way. So as much as I was stubborn, uh, as much as I was like wanting to butt heads with him a little bit longer, I chose to give up. And I said, okay, dad, you know what? We'll go your way. So time went on, got later and later, and my dad got quieter and quieter, to which he finally suggested that maybe we were going the wrong way. And so uh, we had a moment to figure out where we were on the map. We turned around, we walked the opposite direction, um, and we found ourselves at St. Paul's Cathedral. And do you know what I saw that day? Well, certainly not the inside of St. Paul's Cathedral, that's what. Because we got there just after 4, I remember it so clearly in my mind, it was just after 4 and we were like tromping up the steps to the front door ready to go see the site and the person that was working there that was allowing visitors to come in, like looked down on us at the steps, made eye contact, and then like sheepishly stood behind the door and closed it in our faces. Because what we didn't know was that that day that tours of St. Paul's Cathedral closed at 4 p.m. So I never got to see inside St. Paul's Cathedral that day. Well, if my dad had just relented, we would have gotten there in time, probably to see the inside, to do the tour, but because he was convinced that we were going right, and I was convinced that we were going the right way, we ended up missing out on that experience together. And that's okay. I'm sure there'll be another time one day to do that. It's not something that I'm like holding on to really fondly, um, but when I see, at a, as I look at our culture, I think that there's a degrading of objective truth. And, and there's a bolstering of confirmation bias, where you search for, where you interpret, and recall information in a way that supports your beliefs. Um, this was like a very small, very like unharmful, uh, like micro expression of, of that confirmation bias that I found at St. Paul's Cathedral that day. where, where we're, When we're on social media, when we're surrounding ourselves with certain people, where we are researching, it constantly affirms our belief, our frustration, our justification for speaking to people that way on social media or in person, or even in our faith. And and we end up creating kind of this truth vacuum where there's no alternative source of information, perspective, or truth. But how does that kind of confirmation bias and that that truth vacuum work when when we look at scripture? Well, I think actually that this cultural norm is is in conflict with Scripture. There's tension there because Jesus says of himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this claim is one of exclusivity. It really actually leaves no room for subjectivity, uh, for subjective truth, sorry, for confirmation bias when it comes into conflict with who he is at a broader scale. But it also leaves no room for any of those things when we're coming into conflict with what we believe and what is true of himself in the finer points of faith as well. And so we're gonna to look today at a group who had all the facts, all the evidence, and all of the proof, that who, but who, like us Dan Bravers, were a little stubborn, but who Jesus still invites into a greater way of living. And so we're gonna to read today from John chapter 10, verse 22 to 42. We're continuing our Gospel of John series today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one uh whether a digital copy or a real copy if you go to myevangelchurch forward slash bible it would give you all the ways that you can get one today so you can even just pause right now get that download of a bible and then join us again so this is what it says uh in john chapter 10 verse 22 to 42 and today i'm reading from the csb the christian standard bible it says then the festival of dedication took place in jerusalem and it was winter jesus was walking in the temple of solomon's Colonnade." The Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your law, I said you are God's? If you call those to whom the word of God came God's and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier and remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many believed him there. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much uh, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you are uh, all the things that you've said in scripture. That you are true and so god i pray that as we uh we we look into your scripture about maybe sometimes looking at holding on to our our truth when it even when it comes into conflict with yours that you would reveal yourself to us jesus that the spirit would reveal what truth is to our hearts today and that my words would be so quiet so that your words would be able to speak clearly to our hearts and our minds today we love you jesus and we pray this in your name amen amen well if you were here last week or if you read back in chapter 10, you see that Jesus revealed a couple of his I am statements, one of them being that he is a good shepherd. Pastor Lucas gave a great message on what the good sh- on who the good shepherd is, and if you want to uh, watch that, you can either go onto our Facebook or YouTube and watch that video or you can listen to a podcast on myevangel.church/media that will give you that sermon as well. So I'd encourage you to do that. While where we read today is thematically consistent, it's actually not chronologically consistent because there's a change of season here. John is very like obviously saying that it is the festival of dedication, which more popularly now would be known as Hanukkah and it's during the winter. So previously there was Jesus was talking and it was like fall ish. Um, And so months have gone on to this now conversation. And so thematically there, John is wanting to like string this all together, Um, but there is some time that has lapsed together. So there's been a change of setting and a little bit of time, but not theme as we'll see. So Jesus is in, part of, is in a part of the temple called Solomon's Colonnade. And basically what that was was like a covered portion of the outer temple. And it's likely that Jesus was was specifically there because he was kind of shielding himself from the wintry weather. It was likely rainy and cold during the winter there. And so he was under this colonnade to have some cover uh, from the elements. And as he is there, he is surrounded by what, by what scripture generally just calls the Jews, but which commentators uh, like almost completely agreeing with each other say that it's likely the jewish leaders specifically and so they surround him and they ask in verse 24 how long are you to keep us in suspense if you are the messiah tell us plainly now when we read this it's hard to know the tone of this question many people before in scripture has asked this question genuinely as seeking uh, truly to know who jesus was but when we look at kind of some of the words used in the sentence we see that this is maybe not the case with the jewish leaders because the word used in the original language for surrounded is kukla'o, which when translated now means encircle or besiege. And so there's this militant kind of hostile tone to this word of of encircling Jesus. And I think that it also means that the the question that they ask of Jesus is hostile as well. And so we can see that um, the, the question wasn't out of a genuine thirst for knowledge like some people have asked Jesus before. But it was actually out of a place of hostility so that they could find a way to discredit Jesus and to justify their desire to kill him. So let's look at Jesus' reply to this question in verse 25. He said, I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. The Jewish leaders asked Jesus to tell them plainly. And he might've honestly said it a little bit more plainly than they were kind of wanting or hoping or expecting that day. And I think in this moment that Jesus is recalling what he had said for us is a couple of verses ago, but for his original audience was likely months ago, that he and he alone is the good shepherd. But what we see here is that Jesus is saying this in contrast to the way that the Jewish leaders were uh, acting and behaving because they also thought that they would be a shepherd of God's people as well. But Jesus is saying here, like you are not the good shepherd in this story. Unfortunately, in this moment, you're actually what scripture calls a false shepherd. And and we find what a false shepherd is in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse one to six. It says the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, ah, the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them. Well, not only does Jesus say that the religious leaders were were acting as actually false shepherds, but he went even a little step further to say, you are not even my sheep at all. And this would have been like deeply, deeply offensive uh, to the religious leaders. And it's hard to kind of understand, like to see that when we just read it, but it would have been deeply, deeply offensive. Because the Jews would have the confidence that they are God's people and that he had chosen them from like the very beginning of history to be his people. And yet Jesus was saying, hey, if, if I am the Messiah, then you are actually not my sheep. If I am the one that God the Father has sent, you're not part of this flock. And I think part of that reason is because their unrelenting desire to hold on to their confirmation bias was leading them astray and was actually not bringing them closer to truth or to God but it was leading them further and further from it. Friends, it can be easy, extremely easy, to drown out God's voice and what he's trying to speak to us when we're so consumed with being convinced that we are right than to maybe hear his voice instead. Well, it's good to be confident in in what you believe and what you value and to stand firm on that. And I think that's, I'm I'm not trying to degrade that. Um, I think when we trust in Jesus, I know that, that we can stand firmly on that trust in him. But I think it's also important for us as believers to be thoughtful when we are faced with or even to come into confla- contact with conflicting information of biblical truth that may shape or reshape our understanding. I think as believers, there is something incredibly freeing for both us and those who don't yet know Jesus to sometimes say three simple words, I was wrong. I was wrong." Because I think when we say those words, we open ourselves up to finding out truth. And and growing in our understanding for ourselves and for our witness to others. For the religious leaders in our story, this was not something that they grasped at this moment. And and we see that Jesus didn't just tell them what was true, but he also has already showed them. You know the saying, it's, it's very common, actions speak louder than words. I know I've said that before. But I think, friends, there's something even more powerful when our actions are aligned with our words. I think this is when there is true integrity, and Jesus lived this. We see this in his scripture. And so this message that Jesus gave was really harsh for the Jewish leaders. But what I love about Jesus is he never leaves the rebuke there. He never is harsh towards them, and he kind of leads them. He offers them in this story and us hope in a better way when we receive that rebuke. Because the way that the religious leaders were framing who Jesus is was done in such a way that made it seem like Jesus was going to be this harsh kind of militant leader. Um, this is actually what the ancient world and even Jewish people believed of the Messiah. That the Messiah would have been somebody who ushered in and brought political reform and took down the Roman occupation so that they could like now occupy um, the place that they were in. And and that was kind of their understanding. And so they were using that as their reason and excuse uh, to bring them to the the leaders of, of Rome at that time to have Jesus be executed. And so this is kind of what they're trying to like spin right now in this story. But Jesus says, no, this is the way of following me. This is the way of following the true Messiah. And it's found in verse 20, verses 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one." This is the better way that Jesus is offering to those religious leaders and to us today. That there's a way of safety. There is an intimacy in knowing the Good Shepherd. There is security in both our present and our future uh, in eternity as we believe in Jesus and submit to him as the Good Shepherd and our Messiah. And so this is such a lovely picture of who Jesus is that whole, this whole of chapter 10 paints a lovely picture of who Jesus is. It's like incredibly winsome, isn't it? And yet the Jewish leaders were so consumed with their confirmation bias towards Jesus that their perspective was not one that saw it as winsome, but their perspective was cynical and it was combative towards others. And I think this is a good check for all of us. For for believers and those exploring faith alike, if our desire to be right has overshadowed the truth, then I think some warning signs that we can see that that's happening are cynicism and being combative towards others. I know I've been there and I've been there a lot because unfortunately my default is such that I am highly effective at being both cynical and also combative towards others. And I can look back over my life and see my overwhelming desire to weaponize what I thought was right actually just damaged my relationships and has taken a lot of work to repair. I remember in my first year of college, I had a trusted mentor and friend who one day took me out for coffee and very firmly but gently said that this cynicism in my life was only going to cause hurt and pain that I didn't need to endure or inflict on others. And to be honest, I was so glad that he had said this to me because although it hurt to hear, I think it has allowed me to avoid a lot of reparation of relationship. And it's a conversation that I look back on often because it's become a check in my life to see if I value truth and love in each moment over my desire to be right, or even just to feed what I believe is right. And so it was a moment for me of realizing that my desire to be right wasn't actually right at all. Well, as we look in this story and and as we look in our world, it can be easy to refute what is said. Uh, We see that all over social media, Uh, we see that in our conversations it can be really easy to refute what is said, but I think it's much harder to refute an action. And Jesus lived both uh, perfectly in truth of word and action. And the religious leaders in this story weren't even considered cheap because they didn't listen to Jesus' voice, the truth. And this is not the first time that Jesus has revealed himself to the religious leaders. David Guzik, uh, who's a commentator, actually compiled this list of, of when Jesus has, before this time, told the religious leaders who he is. I'm going like, to quickly like run through them. So in John 3 and 6, he says he's the one who came from heaven. Jesus says he's the one who gives eternal life in John three fifteen. He's the son of God in John 5, how the Hebrew spe- scriptures speak of him in John 5. He's the bread of life in John 6, the revelation of God the Father in John 7 uniquely sent by God in, in John 8, the I am who came before Abraham, also in John 8, the light of the world, also in John 8, the door in John 10, and the good shepherd earlier again in this passage. And so he also reveals himself specifically as Messiah to those who don't know him yet, like with the woman at the well in John 4, and with the man born blind in John 9. And so if you're exploring faith today, I think this is a moment to pause. And I want you to, to invite you to consider the good shepherd, who lays down his life for you, who is secure and who is safe and that he is the truth that is revealed to you. That he is the truth that is revealed to you. But friends, there will be a gap. And one of the most loving things about Jesus is that he gives us a choice to make. He gives us a choice to make up our minds about him and choose either to choose him or reject him. But can I invite you to, to maybe in this moment, uh, suspend your prior decision toward Jesus for a moment, to explore with maybe fresh eyes and a fresh heart of who Jesus reveals himself to be in word and action. And I'm gonna be honest, there there is and always will be a grasp, a gap that you cannot grasp or explain. And it's at this juncture that you have a choice to in faith, believe him or to reject him. And and the Bible is the place where the revelation of Jesus unfolds. And i invite you if you're wanting to explore faith, maybe even being open to changing your mind, to look in his word and see what it says. Because I truly believe that the truth that the spirit reveals will change your life. It will change your life like it's changed mine. But unfortunately, as we look in our story, the religious leaders missed out on the beautiful picture that is painted of Jesus, because they were so desperately trying to hold on to what they believed was true. Because to let go for them meant to let go of control, of power, and to submit to Jesus. But remember what Jesus said, in your letting go, you find a security in Jesus. In giving up power, you find strength and courage. In submission, you find a savior who has already submitted himself all the way unto death for you. But it will require you to perhaps look at things differently than you did before. Now, as we look in our story again, the religious leaders did not obviously like the plainness that Jesus spoke of them and they wanted to stone Jesus as a result. And so Jesus asked them for what good works are you stoning me for? And they replied this in verse 33, we aren't stoning you for a good work but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now Jesus reasons from with them from a piece of scripture, and, and this is like a, a classical Hebrew way of, of um, arguing and discourse. Um, and it's from Psalm 82, verse six, and it's got to do with, it's a little bit of a strange passage. It's got to do with a warning that the very people that God has set on earth to judge in the Old Testament are like lowercase g gods um, in a very, very limited sense that they were the ones who in the old Testament were raised up to be temporary mediators of God's justice. That's the only like way that he is attributing that. And it's a lowercase g God it's temporary. Like don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, but now Jesus is saying that he has taken the place as the eternal and one and only capital J judge. And if the writers of the Jews old Testament can say that about men, then Why couldn't they say that of Jesus, who is both God and man, and who is one in mission and unity with the Father? But then Jesus again says to them, and I'm paraphrasing, don't just take my word for it. Or don't even just take your scripture's word for it, which they would have held in high regard. But take my actions for it as well. Like I said, it's much harder to refute actions than it is words. Well, friends, what Jesus is saying in this passage is he exposes the hearts of the religious leaders is that our goal is not to be right, but it is to pursue and live truth. Our goal is not to be right, but it is to pursue and live truth. But the religious leaders in their attempts to hold on to their bias were more consumed with being right in their eyes than they were about exploring the invitation that Jesus has for them. as a result they ended up becoming like those false shepherds rather than submitting to jesus as the good shepherd and i think for us it begs the question in our conversations with others whether in person or online in our interactions with those who don't believe in jesus yet or as we journey in faith together and maybe have a belief that's revealed that isn't actually maybe biblical truth how do you respond how do we respond well i think in our current climate both Uh, in faith and those who don't believe in Jesus yet the response has been more like the false shepherds where the value of being right is greater than the value of the humble pursuit of truth and and i see and i've seen that and it grieves my heart when when we as believers are, are willing to go so far to prove that we are right rather than walking in humble truth and i think when we do this it leads to greater disunity And it can actually put people off to the the real truth of who Jesus is by way of our words and our actions. Well, as we conclude today, I have a friend who shared a quote with me a long time ago when they were going through a really tough time that has stuck with me ever ever since. It says, And the time came when the risk to remain tight in a bud became more painful than the risk that it took to bloom. Friends, it can be easy as we journey in faith to hold on to some values or truths tighter and tighter, even when we're given evidence that maybe it isn't actually truth at all. And when this happens, like it's not like you're out, uh, so to speak. There's grace for this moment. Of course, nobody here has ever gotten it all right. There are always times where we maybe hold on to something that uh, is revealed later to not be true. None of us have it right. We're all on a journey of discovering truth. But it does present us with a choice when, we're, when we come to that moment. Do we hold fast to that faulty belief? Do we dig in our heels? Or do we do the work of walking humbly with the spirit into greater truth? Have you ever had that experience in scripture where you're reading something and it reveals a truth uh, that causes you to kind of this like inner turmoil because it's different than what you currently thought was true? Well, that cognitive dissonance of holding on to that belief even when we know it's not true is painful. It's painful. But like the quote says, as the spirit reveals truth to us, it will be more painful to stay stuck in that way than it is to open ourselves up to the pain of admitting that maybe we were wrong, to learning and to growing as a result. Again, like the quote says, when we finally make that choice to step into the pain, of admitting we don't always have it right and having biblical truth change our lives again. It's not to our demise, but the temporary pain, it brings transformative growth and it actually makes us look into a greater likeness of Jesus. So maybe during the season you've been digging in your heels, like the religious leaders did in our story, where the spirit is revealing truth to you or you're you're hearing evidence that maybe changes your understanding of truth. Well, Jesus didn't say to Jesus did say to those uh, religious leaders that those who don't believe his word are not his sheep. But he didn't say to those religious leaders that they had completely missed their chance. There is still time for them and for us to choose to submit to the truth of Jesus and blossom as a result. Friends, there will be pain either way, but I always, I will always, always bank on the pain of growth over the pain of remaining tight in a bud, of holding on to that, because I know that it will make you and I more like Jesus in the end. And so I will always bank on the pain of growth over the pain of remaining stuck tight as a bud. And so Jesus invites us into this way today with love and grace and kindness. and and as we approach each other who are maybe uh walking in that humble pursuit of truth saying i was wrong friends let's be sure and very quick to be gracious and forgiving and kind to those people because they are not people that deserve shame they are not people who deserve harsh words but they are people that we should celebrate in that moment because they are doing the hard and painful work of looking more and more like Jesus each day. And so when we come into contact with those people, we need to be people of grace. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you may also need to let go of some things today as the spirit reveals who Jesus is to you. He is waiting as a good shepherd who doesn't shame you, but loves you, who has laid down his life for you. And, And by placing your trust in him is secure, like he said in our passage that we read today. So friends, will you remain tight in a bud? or today will you choose to blossom? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are always with us, that you are always revealing truth to our hearts. And so Holy Spirit, as we have that revelation of truth, greater and greater as we look more and more like you. May we be humble in our pursuit of truth. And may may we walk in a greater understanding of your word so that we can look more and more like you today. We love you and we pray us in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, friends.
0: Pastor Marcus, thank you so much for leading us uh, in what is uh, maybe a bit of a harder uh, truth uh, to kind of wrestle with, that truth sometimes does great against our worldview, and we have to submit ourselves to something that is uh, new. And of course, Christ is our standard of truth, and so we look to Him and His way. Uh, well, we just have a few announcements for you. Uh, because we did suspend this weekend, uh, we are moving our dates back for everything that can we had in the works and so our connect Sunday uh, It's gonna be a Sunday where you're gonna wear a name tag You're gonna we're gonna make it super easy to interact and socialize with one another because we won't be wondering who the person's name is uh, That's always helpful. Uh, we also have a few little things that are family-friendly after the service that are just gonna help kind of engage community and getting to know one another. So that is next Sunday, October 24th uh, Evangel Academy We are excited to have Evangel Academy launching and because again, we had to suspend today, we are moving the the first class, the hermeneutics class, how to study scripture, to next Sunday, October 24th at six o'clock p.m. And the subsequent part two of that class is gonna be on November 2nd, which is a Tuesday night at six o'clock p.m. as well. Well, we have trunk retreat coming up and what we're looking at doing is creating a mini neighborhood of cars in our parking lot where kids can come and they can hit each car all the way around. And so all you have to do is register to bring your car, decorate your trunk, so you have your trunk open or your hatch open or whatever you got, decorate it in some kind of theme, and we will be giving out candy from those trunks uh, on Halloween and just creating a safe place for kids to come and do that. So we need cars. We desperately need cars. And so even if you were on the on the fence about it, consider this your moment of being off the fence and you're in. So you can register, visit myevangel.church forward slash trunk dash or dash treat and uh, you can see that on our website register there or you can just call the office or talk to one of us and we will get you hooked up with that so everything that we do here at evangel church is uh, due to your generosity and so we want to thank you so much for your giving uh, we know that it is a spiritual discipline It's part of what we are called to do as believers in Jesus is to bring our treasures into the storehouse, talents, our abilities, our time, but our treasure as well. And so we thank you for your generosity and your giving. Uh, If you wanna continue to give, because today we did suspend our service, you can actually drive through Uh, do our drive-through generosity, we will come out to you masked up. You won't be coming into the building, but we can receive uh, any gifts that you want to give to support the further work of the ministry within Powell River, within our community, and around the world. Thank you so much. God bless everyone. Have a great week.